Let's pray. God, we ask that you just um, help us today and that you, you be with us today here. Um, pray you help me to, to say things that are, that are right and they're good and they're honoring to you and they're helpful for people. I pray for everyone who's listening. I just believe that they're, they're here today in this place, not by chance or accident. They came to the conference because they love you and they love people. And I pray that everything that they, they learn for the rest of the weekend that you impart to their souls will be good and it will be kept and it will find good soil. So as, as the conference is really kicked off right here now for, for all of us, we just welcome you here. And may, may the things we say... Things we do, the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our salvation. All right, amen, welcome. My name is Mitch Dunnick. I'm a family doctor from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I'm happy to be here today, and I welcome you here. Um, We're going to talk about disaster relief, how to take care of people, and and some opportunities in there. Now, let me tell you quick about Myself, just, I think it helps so you know who I am. I, I told you already um, that I'm a family doctor. I work with the In His Image Family Medicine Program in Tulsa, Oklahoma. But more importantly, I really love Jesus and I want to do what He's called me to do with my life. Second to that is I have an awesome wife and I have awesome kids. We've got th- three sons and three daughters, which is just ridiculous, so don't do that, but it's awesome. The, uh, if you have more than three kids, it's totally out of control. It's, um, but it's awesome. The four oldest ones are married. We had two get married this summer. We got a grandbaby now, which I'm way too young to be a grandpa, but that's awesome too. So now we got ten kids when you think about that, and it's, it's amazing. I've had the chance to go on, on some medical relief trips, and I am not military trained. I am not a SEAL. I am not a ranger. Um, but I've, I've had some opportunities to go to places, and I, I think the reason for that was I was naive enough to be willing to go and just say, okay, you know, when <clears throat> you know, I get teams and somebody's over there going, pick me, I guess sometimes I was pick me, and other times I was like, no, don't pick me, <laughs> and, and he picked me anyway. So I just want to share with you some of the things that we've learned and what <clears throat> we've experienced for for me, it started probably when I was a kid doing Boy Scouts and learning how to tie knots and wanting to go to crazy places and looking at National Geographic going, wouldn't it be awesome if you could go to some of those places? That looks fun. That was just me. My training, again, is in family medicine. Way back in the early 90s, there was this huge <clears throat> event that happened in Central Africa in Rwanda with the Hutus and the Tutsis and the genocide and almost up to a million people killed. And I can tell you exactly how it went. My wife was out of town with our kids and, and we got this um, phone call. Or she, she was watching TV and seeing what was going on on TV and I was home alone. And she calls me early in the morning and says, maybe you should go there. I said, go where? I mean, I was not sinking with what was going on. She said, maybe you should go to Africa and help those people. We knew some people who were trying to go. And I said, that's a bad idea. I, I don't really have time for that. And I'm sure they need other people. And, and anyway, I heard the trip is full. She said, call them. I called them. Six hours later, 
We're on a plane to Virginia, and then we're on a plane to Central Africa. And we sort of got thrust into the middle of that, not knowing what we're doing. But we saw God show up in an incredible, amazing way, and that was that Rwandan refugee crisis. And, And since that time, we've been responding to other disasters around the world. Um, we, we ended up in northern Indonesia, in Banda Aceh, in a place that's totally corro- uh, controlled by Sharia Muslim law, where no Westerners can go and no Christians can go. But, oh, you have a bag of medicine and you have a degree? Okay, come on in. Help us. I mean, it was literally like that. Like that. And I'll show you some pictures. It's not, I'm not trying to show you pictures just to make you... Excited, but I'm trying to show you pictures to make you kind of excited about it. Because there's, there's things you can go do and places you can go, and you are well able, if you're willing, to be used by God and willing to be stretched. And we've gone to Pakistan, we've gone to Burma. Um, our most recent trip uh, was was in Haiti. This this is in in Burma. If you remember when it, that huge cyclone Nargis came across the delta and just wiped it out. And these are, these are the kind of people we fought, found, the kinds of situations we found. That was quite a while ago. This is our most recent trip. We sent two teams to Haiti in the last three weeks. They had a huge hurricane, and they, people called us, and they said, everybody's forgotten about Haiti because it wasn't as bad as the earthquake, and they're just tired of hearing about trouble in Haiti. But we, somebody called and said, we're down here, and it's terrible, and it's bad, and there's cholera, and there's problems. Won't you go? So we went down there and, and said, here we go, we're helping them out. So, thanks for coming here. Now here's my plan. I'm going to give you some ideas and I'm going to share some experiences, but you've got to figure out which of these are true and which makes sense for you. Just because I'm up here with the microphone doesn't mean that I'm the expert on all this stuff, but like I said, I have experience. Are there any medical students in here? Raise your hand if you're a medical student. Any nursing students? Okay. Let me, let me tell you something about school. You get people that get up there and they tell you things as though it's the absolute truth that there is no option. You know what I'm talking about? And you go, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. You write it down. And when the test comes, you write it down. And then you say to yourself, I wonder if that's really true. When I interview medical students, it happens all the time. Here's the, the most recent one this week. They've told us when we talk about faith issues with our patients, number one, we shouldn't do it. But if we do do it, we must remain absolutely neutral. In fact, we have to remain neutral about everything and just gather information and then, then kind of make a diagnosis and a plan. You ever heard that? Like, because you can't impose your will and your opinion on people. That's baloney, you know that? Like cigarette smoking, Right? You're not neutral about cigarette smoking if you're in health care. It's bad, it's horrible, it's dirty, it's nasty, it's cancer, and you have to quit. Right? People impose your will on them. So you get these rules about things. So I, I don't want you to get any rules and absolutes, but I'll show you some truth that I've experienced. Hopefully it's biblically sound and it'll help you. Because I'm excited that you would even sit in here, because you're sitting in here because you're th- saying... Maybe God would call me to go help people that are in trouble. Maybe, maybe this passion and love that I feel for people that are just in, in desperate situations, God would use me. So that's what we're going to do, what we're going to talk about. What's a disaster? So we're going to define it here. A disaster, an event causing widespread chaos, destruction, distress, 
And it frequently overwhelms the ability of the local population to handle it. A complex humanitarian catastrophe. That's a mouthful, isn't it? But in a lot of developing countries, the health care is already poor. It's, it's inadequate. It's not functioning well. And then something happens. And it just overwhelms the society. And it's not just illness, but it might be food, water, shelter, clothing. Just a, a horrible situation. When I'm talking about disasters, I'm kind of talking about a, it from a broad sense. We, we saw a picture there of a hurricane and it wiped out the delta and wiped out their house and wiped out their food and, and it killed all their farm animals. That's bad. Sometimes it might be something like Ebola. It's a little more slowly evolving, but it's really difficult. It might be a military conflict. Recently, the Lord has, has directed us to go to northern Iraq and work with Syrian refugees and displaced people in Iraq from the war, from ISIS, from all that they're doing. That's a disaster in their lives, and they're, they're in trouble, and they're stuck. So it overwhelms them personally, but overwhelms the whole community. That's <clears throat> a bit what we're talking about broadly. <clears throat> what I'm not going to do is give you a little three-by-five card of here is exactly how to do it, and here's the problems you're going to see, and here's the medicines you need to take, and here's how to fix everybody that you meet. I'm not going to do that. We'll talk about it a little, but I want to talk a little bit more conceptually because you have the gifts and ability to go help people. You, you just do. I can guarantee you that. My wife is trained as a teacher. She's awesome on these trips, and she doesn't have any medical training. Why? She loves people. She thinks logically. She cares about them. She helps us stay organized. Doctors are a little chaotic in their thinking sometimes. We need organized people. You need non-medical people. Nurses are wonderful. Like my, that was my daughter holding that baby. Just got a nurse practitioner degree. She's way more useful than a neurosurgeon on these trips. And my neurosurgeon buddy says, yeah, just tell me. I'll write you a check, but I'm not coming. I said, good. No, no, I said, you're part of the team, but you're, you're the funding partner in this situation. He's no good. So you can do this. <laughs> He's my close friend. Yeah. Um, so you've got to think about this a little because there's reasons to do stuff and there's reasons not to. Do you know these two people over here? These are wonderful people. Dick and Millie Bransford, missionaries in Kenya for a thousand years and... They're my friends. Hi, guys. You can't see the slides from there. Here, there's chairs right here. Come on. Sit by John. I know it's a stretch a little bit. but Hi. How are you? Nice to see you. The first time I ever went on a mission trip was to Kenya as a medical student, and I lived with these people, and they're still trying to get over it. Um, so... So we've got to start with the end in mind. It's like you've got to figure out, what am I trying to accomplish? And this is just true in life. If we don't identify what's my end run here, like where am I trying to get to, you can work really hard and do lots of stuff and never get there. In our residency program, we sit at the faculty meeting and go, what's our end in mind? And we want to graduate people that are well-trained, that are competent, that love Jesus, that love people, that are prepared to go out and do what God's called them to do. That's my end deal. Now let's figure out how to get there. So with this, it's the same. What am I trying to do? What am I trying to accomplish? You ought to think that through. What does it mean to love our neighbor? Okay, we, we know we have this call. We, we've got this direction from God. They said to Jesus, 
What's the greatest commandment? He said, here, I'll give you two. Love God with everything you got. Your heart, your soul, and your mind. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. Well, what does that mean in this situation? I just heard a group and I saw a video of some people loving their neighbor. They're serving as the medical ambulance people for the people that are trying to take Mosul back. It's a, it's a relief group. They said loving our neighbor means going to the front lines a little behind. And when they get hurt, we're taking care of them. Now, that's serious. But what does it mean to love our neighbors? We, we know who our neighbors are. It's everybody out there. What drives us? That's the why thing. Why do we go? Why do we do? What is it that compels us to go out? It's really worth thinking about. And then think about, do I have anything to offer? Can, can I really be of assistance? And if so, what would that look like? People that, have, that live overseas a lot and have done that with their career, just let me get, I'll give an inside scoop. These guys will probably say amen. Sometimes people go to help and they're a pain. They're miserable. They, they take a lot of work and a lot of care and a, a lot of money and they're not good. So you've got to figure out, am I going to go and be helpful or am I going to go and cause trouble? What if we did more harm than good? There's a lot of discussions about that, but you have to think about it. You really have to think about it in this relief work stuff. Because it's possible to go and, you know, mess things up. Here's some, here's some poor reasons to go on a trip like this. Some of the disaster things are urgent. Some of them are more slow moving. But, but there's some poor reasons to go for adventure. Now, that doesn't mean if you like adventure, you shouldn't go. But that's not a great reason to go. One of the places that we went early on, um, we ran into some, some folks with, from other NGOs, secular NGOs, and some government people. And they were, I, I was quite shocked. They were very upset that as a faith-based organization, we came. She said, you are taking advantage of the desperation of people to manipulate them and have them switch to your religion. I said, really? Wow. She said, well, if not, why have you come? That was a great question. I said, I come because I believe there's a God and He made everybody and He loves everybody and He's commanded us that we ought to love people just like He does. So it's the compassion that He put in our hearts that He loves us with, that we love other people. We're just here to help. We heard there's trouble. We, we had stuff that could help. So we just came to see if we could help and share the love of God with them. That's it. End of the story. And then I said, so why have you come? That's happened a couple of times and I've yet to get an answer because it's things like adventure. It's things like excitement. It's things like getting out of the office. It's things like adrenaline junkie. It's like great pictures, great stories. And sometimes it's even, I feel really good when I help people. Well, that has nothing to do with, none of those have anything to do with the people you're serving. So let's stay away from poor reasons. Let's not do it for attention. Hello, people. I'm going. Or hello, I'm home. I've done something wonderful. That's not okay. That's a bad reason to go. What about out of guilt? Man, I just feel so bad. I feel guilty that I have stuff and they don't have stuff. I have health and security and food and all that. And I just feel guilty. It's okay to, to feel that. But to use guilt as a reason to make a decision to go is not good. You'll, you'll, 
You'll run out of gas real fast. How about need? Here's a statement I think is worth remembering. We should be sensitive to the needs of others. Our hearts should be there and full of compassion. I mean, Jesus was moved with compassion and He healed people. He was moved with compassion and He fed people. That's good. So we should be moved by compassion. But not just need. Why? Because there's need everywhere. So this person told me, keep your heart open to the needs of people and soft and gentle. But let your feet be moved by the direction of the Spirit of God for what you should do with your life and when you should do it. Because otherwise, you can go everywhere all the time and maybe it's not even something you're supposed to do. So don't be moved just by the need that you see. Personal fulfillment and growth kind of touched on that. Hey, this would be good for me. I'd grow. Ah, that's pretty self-centered. Here's some good reasons to go. There's a tremendous need. Now you say, wait a minute. Uh, Did you mess up your slides? No. I didn't mess up my slides. There are times there's great need. When we were going to Goma Zaire, I remember I'm getting on the plane and I'm going... This is nuts. This is nuts. This is nuts. God, not me. And I I remember in my heart, he's going, well, if not you, who should I call? Man, I I didn't have a very good answer for that. Because I'm like, I I got a wife and I got kids. And he's like, oh, really? Huh, I didn't know that. Yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, I added that part. He didn't say that. He was just like, he was silent on that one. Like, just shut up. We know. Um, But... If, if, if it's not you, who might it be to respond? Sometimes we can get into places you can't get into otherwise. I told you already about Banda Aceh. And I said, I think I'm Western and Christian and we're not allowed here. He said, yeah, but you have a bag of medicine. We went to northern Pakistan and we were driving in this van. You know, you get with people, they go, we're going north. And I'm like, Where's North? They could just don't talk, doctor. Just get in the van. Okay. And we go past this huge gate, and I said, what's that gate for? Oh, no Westerners can go beyond that gate. We're going into the Kashmir region. It's totally outlawed. I was like, uh, yeah, that's all of us. Oh, yeah, it's okay, because they're in trouble, and you have medicine, so we can go. And we ended up setting up this camp, relief medical camp with tarps and everything, right across the street from an outlawed terrorist group that were taking people. And they're walking across the street to come and have us take care of them. And then they wanted us to pray for them. And it's like, okay, we're good with that. And then they said, and this is, I'm telling you that is true, but when you, when you pray, please pray in the name of Jesus, Isa. I said, uh, why is that? Those are the only ones that seem to work in our experience. No, word for word. And I'm thinking, this is mind warping. Who could, who could plan anything like this but God Himself? So we get into a place you couldn't get into. We got into Myanmar, military regiment. They don't give any, you know, visas to come in. It was a tough deal. And, and there we went in the hospitals or the airports deserted. But we somehow got these 13 visas and we got in and we helped the people and the church went And they said, this is very interesting. You've come from America. Yeah, he said, our own government won't help us, but our own people won't help us. Because they're all Buddhists. 
And they said, well, you got what you got coming. No big deal. Or, you know, maybe next time it will be better. I mean, there was no help. Only the Christians come and help. And we worked with the local Christians. And we went out to these places where people were sick and dying and hurting. And the church exploded. And they said, I want to be a Christian too. Because that's good. It's good stuff. So you can get into places that are tough. Supporting the local church. This is just a really key deal. When you go... Find the believers. Find the believers. Because there's believers everywhere. Find the believers and say, what can we do to help you? How can we help you? Because it's not about us. Whenever we go, we try to find people that are there and say, we're not going as us. We're going as you. And we'll tell all the people here that we came here because you asked us to come. Because they love you so much. We went into Nepal after those huge earthquakes not too long ago. And man, there was a lot of persecution that had been going on in Nepal. But we got there and we're working with the people and they're like, why did you come? And we said, because your friends who are Christians who go to that church asked us to come because they love you so much and were worried about you. So we came to help. All of a sudden, it changes from persecution to love. These, these, these Christian people brought these other people to help us and to love us. We can support them in an amazing way. Supporting long-term workers. And this I'm talking more about people who are missionaries that are in these countries. What if we went in and said, we're here. Where do you need us to go? What can we do to help? I told you about Haiti. They called from there. It's a group that's been there for 10 years. They said, we're in trouble. We're overwhelmed. Could you bring some people? So we come and we're not in His image. We're right underneath them, under this organization. We say, we are now you. We're not putting our name on anything. We're not going as us. We're underneath you. How can we help you? Because we're going home. But this could be a tremendous boost and a blessing. And God could use it to expand the effect of the, the ministry and the work that you're doing already. So it's a great reason to go. We've been given much. We know what Jesus said. To those to whom much has been given, much is required. Man, we have stuff. We have resources and abilities. That's a great reason to go. The last one I'll say is the leading of the Holy Spirit because how do you know when to go and when not to go? That's a big deal, isn't it? Because there's so much need and there's so many places. And I mean, you could get on the Internet right now and find 20 places that they'd love to have you come and help them. And, and you can read the Bible and maybe sometimes God will use a verse in there that's specific. I was talking with my son about that just the other day. He's a freshman in college. He's like, Dad, is it the same for everybody? I said, no, the... The Bible is silent on such stuff. The principles are there and the values are there and the truths are there and you have to incorporate them. But sometimes you need to know when to go and when not to go. And this is really, really important. Because if you go to the wrong place at the wrong time, you could get in trouble because you weren't supposed to go. Well, how do you know? Because it's not in the Bible. It's not like uh, go to Korea, go to Iraq on, on May 15. It's like that. We recently had that. In northern Iraq, we'd been there and we were planning to go again, but it was getting dicey. It was about a year and a half, maybe two years ago now. And I remember this so distinctly. And I just share this with you because a U.S. congressman called me. And he said, I heard, I don't know, I do know how he got my name now. It was one of my non-friends. No, he's an awesome guy. But he said, I heard you're going there and I've been in Afghanistan. I'm getting these reports. I heard you're going to northern Iraq. It's a bad idea. I said, yes, sir. And he said, I, I, in fact, I walked out of church to call you. So he's like a Christian guy. Awesome guy. And, and he said, you shouldn't go. It's dangerous. We can't 
be secure. And, and, and if you go, we can't help you. I said, thank you very much, sir. Um, and he said, and you're not taking any women for sure, right? And I was like, yeah, one of, we, do, we got three women because there's a big need there. And women can talk to women where men can't. And, and it was my other daughter. She's going along. I said, that's a bad idea. Um, so I got home that night and I was like, this is a bad idea. But we, since the Lord was leading us to go, we had an invitation. We were going to go back. Like, what am I going to do? Because in our deal, it's sort of like you got to make the call sometime, right? Everybody's like, I want to go. I want to go. I'll go. I'm with you. Boom. So what if you go and you get all shot up? Well, that's okay if you were supposed to go. But if you weren't supposed to go and you get shot up, that was probably not a great idea. <laughs> you, you get me? So... So I'm going to bed at night and I'm just like, God, what am I going to do? Because these young people want to go. And they're looking to me because they think I know something. And I have to decide. Either we turn the machine on and get it going and take off, or we shut it down. And I'm good with shutting it down. And I can guarantee you there have been a bunch of times like I'm like, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And my wife goes, honey, did you hear about that? No, what? You know what, she says. A lot of times, God speaks to her, and that's why I've ended up going. And that's a blessing. But this time, I'm sitting there at night, and I'm just struggling, because I said, I'll go. Man, if you say go, I'm going. I don't care. But if you say, don't go, I'm good. I'll pull the plug. We'll we'll turn the engines down and wait for something else. 2.30 in the morning, I I woke up. I never wake up at 2.30 in the morning. I'm one of those guys, boom, you're gone till morning. I never wake up. All of a sudden... I woke up and the song was going in my head that I learned when I was 10 years old, I think, in Sunday school. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll be what you want me to say what you want me to say. And I'll be what you want me to be. Oh, man, I haven't thought of that song in a lot of years. Like I I was 10, maybe like 20 years ago. And it was... (laughs) But I, 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 I remember, and it never had happened before, and I sat up, and I just, and, and don't get me wrong, but sometimes we need help from God, like all the time. But it was like, I just said, God, is that you? Because it was something from way back when, an old hymn. I said, yeah. Like I, I had this overwhelming sense of peace. I said, that's it, we're going. Lay down, went to sleep, got to the office, said, we're going. What happened? I said, I'll tell you later, we're going. And we went, and it was right, and it was safe, and God blessed, and He moved it. But I needed something from God to say yes or no. I mean, I'm taking people's, their kids, you know, because these young doctors have parents, and they think they're crazy for doing this. And, but they have kids of their own, and they have spouses of their own. So that's a big one. I took a lot of time on that one, but it's really important. Okay, here's some hurdles. Here's a little more practical stuff. It's really expensive. Because when there's a disaster, everybody uses up all the stuff. Went to Gomez Air, $2,000 for a busted down Nissan van for a week. That's ridiculous. Yeah, well, what are you going to do, walk? I mean, it's really expensive. You buy plane tickets late, they're expensive. You don't get great deals on them. So you've got to count the cost just from a financial standpoint. You don't have time to look ahead and get a great ticket and buy the best deal. So sometimes it can be really expensive. It's inconvenient. Oh, really? Yeah, like we had tickets for 
you know, the drama next week. You know, and we've been planning to go, and it was our anniversary, and it's a kid's birthday, or my I, my patient's schedule is full, or I, I'm on the, you know, I have to plan about six months ahead. <laughs> we had an OBGYN that we work with in our hospital. He goes, I probably, I won't say it, but he used the D word. He said, Mitch, um, I want to go with you on one of those trips, <laughs> which I didn't want him to go, you know. But anyway, he thought it was cool. And he says, but I need about six weeks' notice when you go on one of those emergency trips. I'm like, well, that won't work. That's my answer. <laughs> you know, it's inconvenient. Your schedules are planned ahead. I mean, I know some doctors, they say, I need six months ahead to get my time off to do something. That doesn't work. So it's really inconvenient sometimes to just drop everything and go. Lack of training. Maybe you feel, man, I, I don't know if I know this stuff. If you're in medicine, you're plenty well trained. That's why I, 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 the same thing in Gold Messiah. I said, I remember thinking, God, I am not ready for this. I don't know how to do this. You, you got the wrong guy. He said, No, you've been preparing your whole life to do this. It's not whether you're able, it's whether or not you're willing. Okay, that argument went out the door, you know. <clears throat> Negative public opinion. You know how sometimes people think you're awesome if you do stuff? Sometimes they think you're just stupid. And they think it's a bad idea. And they think you're just going to take advantage of people or that uh, you're going for your own selfish reasons. And you've got to dig deep and find out, is it right or is it wrong? And what's, what's driving me here? Sometimes security is an issue. We were up in Pakistan and all the, the, our support guys came back. The local Pakistanis were like, hey, you went to town for food. What happened? We got robbed. Oh, good, good. Yeah, we got held up by some bandits with guns, and they've got all the food, so we don't have any food for tonight. Whoa, okay. Well, we'll be okay. Security can be an issue. In these disasters, there's a lot of thievery, a lot of robbing, a lot of crazy stuff goes on. And then if you go to an earthquake zone, security could be an issue. Why? There could be another earthquake. Duh, you know, I mean, that's reality. It could happen. Is it safe? I remember when we went to Iraq, I, first time I, I asked my friend, I said, he'd been there before. I said, is it safe? Like, talk to me about security stuff. And he goes, well, relatively. <laughs> really? He said, yeah, like for that part of the world, that's one of probably the safest places. And I said, that's like going to the cool part of hell. I mean, that's not, <laughs> I'm not feeling good about this right now. But he said, no, it's okay, we'll take care of you. All right, let's go. But that's a big issue, and maybe... Not just for you, but for all the people who love you a really lot, that could be a challenge. Inappropriate setting for ministry. Did you ever think about this? <clears throat> How can you really do much good when there's so much chaos? I mean, people are dying. People are suffering. When we went to Goma, I mean, they're literally the bodies are rolled up and thrown in trucks and dumped in a dump. When we went to Banda Aceh, there were still bodies floating 30 days later. I mean, it's serious. It's it's horrible and people are sick and people are dying. Can you really do any ministry in that setting? Or should you wait till it cools off? And, and maybe, maybe later there's another opportunity. We'll think that through. Here's, here's a few keys to success. I'm gonna, I'll list them up here first and then we'll go through them at one at a time. The right team. Absolutely important that it's the right people that go. The right place. The right time, the right partners, the right preparation, and the right resources. 
So the right team. All right. If I get a call and they say, hey, there's something went down and it's bad and they need some help, can you come? First thing I think is, who can lead? Because you absolutely need a leader. And you need a leader who is experienced and a leader who is skilled and a leader who is selfless and a leader who knows how to serve. The role of the leader, and when I've led, this is what I tell the team, I said, my whole job here is to do whatever it takes with logistics and time and people and money and situation to get you sitting down in front of these people that are in trouble. So I'm really here as a leader to serve the rest of the team and get you where you need to be and take care of you so you can do ministry. So you've got to have a leader that knows what they're doing because it sets the whole tone for it. Um, we've had teams times when people come back and they go, man, your team was awesome. I said, well, good. I, I, I wanted them to be awesome. He said, we've had some teams. They weren't awesome. And they were self-centered and self-serving and they wouldn't sleep where they needed to sleep and they wouldn't eat what they needed to eat and the car was too tight and the ground was too hard and the weather was too hot or cold or whichever it is. The leader sets the team tone for that. Team members, when you go on these trips, they're fairly urgent and, and so you've got to pick them right. And, and I really want people that have had some experience. Like if, if somebody recommends themselves, because I'll get calls and they'll say, Hey, I heard you guys are going to go do something. Here's who I am. Da, 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 and I want to go with you. But if I don't know them, I can't take them. Because it's very intense, the situations that you get into sometimes in these disaster response things. Self-referral is never adequate. And, and somebody says, I've always wanted to do this. Have you ever done it? Have you ever been out of the country? Have you traveled at all? No. Okay, this isn't going to be your first trip. You know, we, that, you shouldn't cut your teeth in, in, in missions on a trip like this because it, it can get dicey sometimes. And, it, and people have to understand organizational structure and somebody's in charge. And, and if the team, team leader says go, everybody has to say, okay. It's kind of like the military model a little bit. And I know this is a little hard, for, especially for young people. Like Young people like like... Hey, we're all cool. Like, let's get along. Let's chat. And it's kind of the amoeba effect. And I'm kind of going here. And it's like, that doesn't work in these deals. And I'm not about communicating, but there has to be some structure in these situations because there could be security issues. There could be difficult problems. There's big decision. Everybody has to go, yep, good. I'm with you. So you need to know who your team is and what their role is on the team. Different people have different roles. And, and they have to be willing to do anything that it takes. Kind of got into structure and organization, but it's really important. And attitude's the, the biggest one. Man, you have to have people with the right attitude. When we went to Pakistan, we didn't know what we were going to do. And I, we got there, and the doctor was like, I'm overwhelmed. I said, what are you overwhelmed with? He goes, the pharmacy is a mess. Our hospital is a mess. The patients are a mess. I said, all right, let's go. Doctors, you're going to go and straighten out the pharmacy. Doctors, you're going to go and bathe the patients. And you doctors are going to go in there and scrub the floors. <laughs> like, let's go. But we had kind of set it up for that. You've got to do anything. Well, I'm a doctor, and, and I want to do doctoring, or I need to do nursing, and I've got to do this stuff. Man, the thing that's opened the biggest doors for us, we're just people. We're just here to love you. 
And, and even when other medical professionals are standing around trying to make diagnoses and waiting for somebody to do something, go bathe the patient. They're laying in their own vomit and their own stool and nobody's taking care of them. Can we do that? Yeah, we ought to do that. And that attitude that it's not about me, it's about them and we can serve. And, and having the right people on the team is important. Communication is huge. There's always issues. There's always things that come up. Can we talk? How you feeling? How you know? And the leader isn't the one that always gives the orders. The leader is the one that says, how you feeling? How you doing? What do you think? Because somebody on the team might have the right answer for what the team should do. It doesn't always come that way. But you've got to communicate. And you've got to be healthy. <clears throat> I get people that volunteer, and when I find out, man, that they're not very fit and they're on a bunch of medicines and they're really out of shape, that's not a good person to go on these teams because they're physically demanding. You may have a backpack and you may be hiking up, but I want to hike and I love to hike. You haven't hiked since you were 14 and you're 50. You can't go. You know, start hiking maybe next year. I mean, it's hard. But you have to be fit because it can be very physically demanding as well as emotionally demanding, psychologically demanding, tough situations. Here's in northern Pakistan, the two gals with the, the scarves over the head, just awesome People. They were the right people at the right time, just going to love and, and serve the people. The right place. Now, how do you decide what to go? I think you have to figure out for you or for your organization, where's your strengths? Where are your gifts? Where are your abilities? We tend to go where other people maybe don't want to go. Or maybe they can't go. Or they shouldn't go. But every organization is different. But thinking that through and figuring out what's going on, it's hard to get news. You know how there's, you hear about, well, there's an earthquake and 15 people died. Well, six hours later, it was 150. And then 24 hours later, it was 1,500 people died. I mean, it always escalates. But trying to get information, what is actually going on there? Is there a need? Is there a need that we can help and move in on? You've got to be pretty objective and thoughtful about this. Is there a real need? Talked about that a little bit. Is there an invitation? This is really important. Because when you go unsolicited, like if people don't ask you to come, and maybe don't want you to come, and you come anyway, it can be really bothersome. So the vast majority of the time, I think it's best for people to say, we, we need help. Could you come? Could you partner with us? Could you bring some people or some stuff or a situation and help us because we're here and we're living here and we have help. Usually it's from a local church or it's from, from long-term workers, missionaries in that area. We, one time we went without an invitation. In fact, the doctor in the hospital said, the last thing I need is a bunch of American doctor cowboy prima donnas coming in here because i got enough problem anyway. That's exactly what he said to me. But that's the place where he said, well, I said, well, God spoke to us and we're coming you know, and then when we got there, we said, can we wash people? Can we clean the floors? Can we do it? And in 24 hours, we were best friends. He just had so much problems already. He didn't need a bunch of American doctors giving him more hassle. So that's how you go. But that's the only time we've ever done that. Most of the time, there should be an inv- uh, invitation. Is there support? Why? Well, you land and you're at the airport. Here we are. Who asked you to come? You know, um, who are you? What are you doing here? How are you going to get from where you are to where you need to be? So you need some local support with vehicles. And then 
probably your team needs to sleep somewhere. And then probably you need to eat. And then probably you need some people that know the language and know English. I mean, this isn't rocket science, but it's really important. Is there support locally to take care of your team so you can go there? And can you get in? Can we both get into the place, but then once we're in there, can we operate? Can we function? Or is it so chaotic that we really couldn't do what we're able to do? So thinking that through is important. And follow-up. That's why I said what I did before. Because if you just go in and you work your tail off and you do everything you can and you help people and you bless them, but there's nobody else to be there when you leave, it's really not a great situation. Follow-up. People might come to the Lord uh, except Jesus and, and just do it, but who's going to take care of them when you're gone? Unless you have some local believers or some local workers. This is uh, up in uh, Nepal. We just wandered in there and hooked up with the great Nepalese believers. So when we left, they took care of the people. It was a great opportunity. The right time. Here's some kind of basic principles just of disaster response, especially an acute disaster. The first five days are emergency, rescue, trauma, life-saving, pulling people out of the rubble, kind of doing stuff. That usually goes about five days because after five days, people have either, either died or they've not died. That's real... The kind of the urgent. That's the the first phase, and that's for rescue operations. We've never one. We've never done it that way and got in that quick. It's hard to get into countries that quick, and it's really not our expertise. Our window that we a lot of times shoot for is the second window, five to twenty days. All right, there's still some urgent needs, but there's some more chronic needs, and things need to be stabilized, and they're transitioning so that. Maybe that you could, if you want to break it down easier, the first week is just search and rescue, emergency stuff. The next couple weeks are stabilization and taking care of people and loving people and, and helping and finding them food and water and health care, those kind of things. And then from then on, it's more public health, stabilization, chronic care, transitioning to what their new reality is. So what's the timing and what can you do? Here's a, a, a picture from eastern Turkey. We got an invitation from the church up there to go. That was last summer. And we went to a refugee camp. So it wasn't so emergent at that time. They, all these people were in a refugee camp, but they had no health care. These were all Yazidis. Yazidis came out of northern Iraq into Turkey. And this is a small group of people you maybe heard about. But they were, the, the Muslims just hated them. And they had unbelievable stories of just abuse and, and rape and, and women and children jumping off the cliffs, just killing themselves to get away from these people. And here's the Yazidis. And, and these are intelligent people. And they left their homes in the business. And they were just driven out. And they're in this refugee camp. So we went in there to help them. The, the doctor there with, with dark glasses on, He's, we work with him, but he's from Turkey, and he had a heart for these people. How can we serve him? As we flew out of the airport, the A-15, F-15s, not a military guy, the airplanes were starting to load up and starting the bombing. We were the last team that was able to go in there, and the whole area was closed. So it was the right time, and it was the right thing to do, but it was a, a very challenging situation, not quite as urgent <clears throat> as before. This young doctor trained in our program, he's from Turkey, has a heart for the people, went back with us there just to love these folks. What about the right partners? 
Okay, this is a group event. We don't need solo people. This is, to me, an incredible display of the body of Christ at work. Because you need some people with the tickets getting on the plane. But then you need other people to work. My, my partners often will say, hey, I'll see your patients if you go. All right? Then we need money. Hey, who's, who's going to pay for this thing? Do we have, we have people that have financial capability? What about your church? Are they involved? Like-minded organizations as we gather stuff. National believers. We talked about that a little bit. I won't talk about that anymore, but we, we need it. Long-term workers in the countries. They're, they're partners in this, and it's really uh, absolutely important. Other NGOs from America that go. It's really interesting because people that do this kind of work are pretty independent and strong-minded. And I've seen people just like get in fights about who's going to take care of which refugees. It's like, really? That's not a good idea. There's so much need. So checking out to make sure you have good relationships. Other NGOs tend to be liberal. Sometimes you end up working with government and military people. This is an interesting picture. That's in Pakistan. If you see my vest, it says World Harvest. That was the church in Pakistan that asked us to come. This guy, young fellow up front, he's the mayor of the city, and he drove down there and got me on a helicopter to go to his people. And the guy in the back in the camo, he was supposed to be guarding us. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, they're just like, what are these people doing? How are they here? But you can see how everybody works together. And my, my point there is this is really the body of Christ at work, and it takes everybody, just like it's described in the Word that, Man, there's so many people needed in different situations, different groups, to make this work if we do it right. Um, Preparation. I'm going to go fast because we're wrapping this up. Medical and non-medical skills. You need non-medical people that are strong and that are organized and that love kids and will play with kids and will help. I've got a handout back, by the way, with all this. Is that my handout? Yeah, perfect. You can grab one on the way out. Um, So you can do that. International and cross-cultural experience. I told you about that. You should have some of that before one of these trips. You should know something about the people, but a lot of time you don't have time. When we decide to go, I assign one person. Okay, you get me ten pages off the Internet and print it up, and we're going to read on the plane. Who are these people? Where are we going? What's their language? What's their culture? What's their money? What's their politics? Learning something about them as you go can be a huge benefit. Spiritually mature, you know, we need... You don't have a lot of time to get spiritually mature like in an hour before the plane leaves or a week. So you need to work on that now. Can we trust God? Can we hear from God? Are we ready to do it? Emotionally stable. Really important. That you can't do all of a sudden too. Like yesterday I wasn't emotionally stable. But today I'm pretty good. I'm go. now that doesn't, you know, that doesn't work. Getting prepared and, and, and dealing with stuff in your life. Because when you get in stressful situations like this, if there's unresolved stuff... It comes out, and it can get ugly. Um, so it's real important. Physically fit and healthy. I talked about that already. Here's some resources. Medications. Often we'll take medicines. Some of the places, we just had a team go to Ukraine. He said, we can't take medicines. We'll have to take money and buy it there. But you need medications, equipment, and supplies, and you need stuff that's useful. You ever get any really unuseful things donated to you? No. <laughs> Don't get me started. We don't have time. I mean, it's really funny. It's a great tax write-off for people, but sometimes you don't need... Okay, if this is the only thing you remember, this is really important. We require every one of our team members to have at least 
Ten individuals signed up that commit to pray for them every day. Starting before we leave and at least a week after we get home. If it works and when it works, I think this is the most important part. That there are people that are interceding and praying for every aspect of it. And, and I just know we'll get to heaven and if the Lord lets us see, we'll say, man, look at all that stuff and all those attacks of the enemy and all those things that wouldn't have happened. But people were praying and interceding and we never even knew that something bad was thwarted. So really important. Uh, I can't emphasize that enough. Talked about these things already. And again, I got those in the handout. Here's, here's the kind of things you're going to see. You're going to see physical things. A lot of it's acute. It's orthopedic. It's skin. It's infections. Those types of things. A lot of chronic stuff too. You'll see diabetes and you'll see headaches and you'll see backaches. You'll see chronic pain. Things that you go, what's up with this? Well, they're, they're people and they're dealing with it. A lot of psychosocial stuff. You, you can't forget about this. People have great loss. Great fear. Great anxiety. PTSD, it sits in. And if you ignore it, you're ignoring a huge part of what they're doing. We, we're sometimes comfortable with the medical things, but what about this? And you don't have to be a psychologist. If you have a psychologist or a counselor on a team, it's awesome. But you know what you have? You have Jesus, and you have a heart, and you sit, and you listen to people, and you care about them. I can't tell you how many times people just said, your team came and they just they listened to our stories. Our stories of loss and pain and hurt, they were important to them. We felt valued. We'd never have had that before. They won't get that from a liberal NGO that's just doing medical relief. They'll get it from people who follow Jesus, though. And that can be transformative. And then what about the spiritual thing? Man, I believe that sometimes God can just change somebody's heart right away. You know, sometimes we think it's got to be a process and you've got to like... You gotta like plant and then you gotta water and then there's a harvest and it has to take like hours or days or months or maybe years. But what if, what if people just said, man, I, I want Jesus too. Whoever this Jesus is that you have, I want him and I want to give my life to him. That's possible. Do you think that's possible? It is possible. I mean, it's almost sometimes in our heads we go, ah, it wasn't a real conversion. I don't know, but what if it was? If it's not, they haven't lost much. If they really surrendered their life to Jesus. So don't hesitate to bring the spiritual in because all this other stuff is being like Jesus. And when the people came to Jesus in the crowds after what He did for their needs, He said, let me tell you about the kingdom of heaven. You can do that. We live in Afghanistan. People wanted me to pray. Really? You want me to pray? Yeah, we, 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 we want you to pray. Tell them what you believe. Be bold. So sometimes there's acute stuff like this in a, in a tent in Indonesia. One time we, couldn't, we went to Iraq, it was raining so hard that nobody could come. So all the team said, well, let's go to the people. Go to their houses, go to their tents, go where they are, sit and have tea with them. Unbelievable stories about Jesus just coming and being present in that place that was in this refugee camp in northern Iraq. Sometimes we just sit people. This is in a refugee camp in Afghanistan. This guy's saying, and the man said, how come you're not afraid of me? He said, the, the mark of those people who follow Jesus is they're not afraid. Everybody else is afraid. We're afraid. Everybody's afraid of my beard. Except you don't look like you're afraid. 
I said, we just came to love you and to be with you and to listen to your pain. And then God can work through that in amazing supernatural ways. Pitfalls. I think most of these I've talked on already. So we're gonna, I'm going to try to stand time. You don't have the right expectation. Well, I thought I was going to do this. Put them away. Not prepared. No prayer support. The team doesn't get along. Number one problem, just like in missions, missionaries don't get along. These teams, if the team doesn't get along, it doesn't work. Incredibly important. Safety and security, communication. Wrong team for the situation of going solo. Don't have a local partner. And here's the, the keys to success. And we've touched on all of these. I just throw them out there. You're prepared. And even if it's short, you meet with people. Here's what we're going to do. Here's why we're going to do it. Here's how we're going to do it. Some, sometimes we've even done a Skype call because everybody's not even coming from the same place. Skype in. Let's talk. Here's who we are. Here's where we're going. Here's what we're going to do. Get ready. Manage your expectations. Flexibility. You know how you have to be flexible in missions? This urgent disaster stuff, it's like way beyond that. Well, I thought we were going here. I thought we were going to go there. Well, ten minutes ago we were going to go there, but then things changed and we have to go over here. I thought I was going to see patients. No, you work in the pharmacy. I thought I was going to work in the pharmacy. No, you're going to have to play with the kids. You're going to take care of people. So you need people like that that are so important. Prayer role or team roles, prayer support. Get people ready every night. How we doing? How you doing? Are you with me? What happened today? Good, bad, and ugly. And then you come home. And you get everybody back together and you say, how are you doing? How's your heart? What's God doing in you? Are you okay? Because sometimes there's trauma to the caregiver that needs to be taken care of. Really, really important. Having local partners and then a local team. You just need people to help you and help you get ready. This last picture is just, I mean, it's really fun. Because we, you know, we're leaving in two days and we got to pack the medicine. People just show up and they're like, I can't go, but I can pack pills and I can count pills and I can help distribute stuff and get it organized. And it's this whole body of Christ, the the body of Jesus, responding and reaching out to help people. Some are noticed, many are unnoticed, but you need a team effort when you do it. And you need to be a part of a team. And it's awesome. All right. Now, there's my email. Spell my name right. If you get that, you're really smart because it's kind of weird. Um, and that's my cell phone number. If anybody wants more information, you want to contact me, you would like to know what we're doing. It's like, a, when's your next disaster trip? <laughs> yeah, you know, you get it. I, I don't know. Um, but there, there is room for people. And there is a place in these situations for like crazy radical people like you. Because you're, I know you're crazy radical because you like left home and came here for several days just to be with other people that have a heart to serve the world. So thanks for that. We, we got the handouts coming after you get them. Um, do that. And I'll, I'll hang around here. Oh, last thing. Last thing. I just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a totally unsolicited but. There's a great book from our life in Afghanistan. My wife would shoot me right now. But it's down in the CMDA bookstore. It's about the year we spent there that she wrote. And I, she just got an award for it. And I didn't even tell her I submitted it for an award. She's like, you're crazy. But this talks about outreach to Muslim and being a woman 
and a mom and a Christian in a really, really hard place. It's in the CMDA bookstore. And I'm going to get... You guys can each have them. These are medical students I just met like 30 minutes ago from El Paso. And he's holding my phone. So, but... there's, There's more. If you want the book, it's good. I almost forgot that. That was good. So, God bless you all. Thanks for coming. Move on. Satellite phone, yes. Sat, sat phones are awesome to have. A lot of these places, the first thing that goes up is communication, and they get after it. A lot of time, we'll go in and just buy a local phone. The people that are there are, are very sophisticated on phones and things like that, but we have used them, especially like earthquakes and hurricanes destroy communication. So sat phones. T-Mobile, yeah. They are. What I, I always tell people, one, call your carrier and see if it will work. Some of these phones have to be opened and closed, and I'm, I'm really not a, I, a tech guy, but people who live in these countries, they know all that because they live with it. And taking a sat phone, especially if you're going remote, is extremely helpful. Sometimes we stay in buildings. Sometimes we stay in tents. You just don't know, so really being prepared. Just go online. I want a satellite phone. And they're not that expensive anymore. Yeah. Yeah, let me take let me take this off here a second.